Beckham and welcome in to a Sunday fun day edition of Socks on Tap live from Casa de Marchese with NWAC. Steve Crackham, cheers. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about some uh, some brutal White Sox baseball here. Uh, and we're just going to kind of go through what happened this weekend with our Chicago White Sox. Before we do that, make sure you're following the show at Socks on Tap on Twitter. Hop in the YouTube, subscribe. Give us five stars if you can even do that on YouTube. I'm not sure if you can, Stephen, but do it if you can. Uh, give the show five stars. Hop in the comments. Talk White Sox baseball with us. Steve, thanks for coming over today. You know, cracking a couple two-tree pops with me and uh, watching some White Sox baseball. I'm sorry that we had to uh, witness yet another loss together today in person out in the garage. Anthony, you know, it's uh, good good to come out here. Good to have a little bit of camaraderie. Got the Cool Ranch Doritos. You I, promised me. Over I, the, you I know, did over promise the you. Here, so did promise you some Cool Ranch Doritos. I came through. That's that's pretty important right there. Um, we got our guy Sal here in the comments. Sal, let me talk to you. Um, this was not an enjoyable weekend of White Sox baseball, Anthony. It definitely was not. Um, so many things could have went the White Sox way this weekend, Steve, and it feels like none of it did. Just none of it did. This was supposed to be the the ascent back up in the AL Central, and I, I feel very let down. You know, it's. Fun. I also can't see anything. These new <laughs> these new sunglasses. Everything's blue. I can only see blue here. I can't even see the shock in your eyes right you now. You can't. These are fantastic. You know, it's it's funny because about a month or so ago, I remember there were people in my mentions talking about oh. You know, everything's going to be fine. The schedule turns in May. You know, they're going to be 10 games over 500 in the month of May because they got a lot of Detroit and Kansas City on, on the schedule here. How has that been working out exactly? I know that I'm not particularly thrilled about this. Um, dropping three out of four games in the asshole of the country against a dog shit baseball team kind of pisses me off. Just so, uh, like on the scale of the hashtag Matt Online meter, Stephen, where are you at right now? On a scale of one to ten, I'm at a twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. That's that's fair. Uh, Drop today's ball game six to five. It was an extra innings affair. We got some free baseball that we didn't want to see. Um, but let's just rewind it through the weekend, Stephen. Uh, this did not really go the way that we needed it to, as we mentioned uh, in the intro of this show. Sox dropped three of four of a four-game set to Detroit. I know they came in playing somewhat better baseball than the Chicago White Sox have been doing, but just you know, take me through Thursday, Friday, just some quick observations that you had through those ball games. We'll get to uh, the the weekend set here uh, in just a moment, but I want to hear from you. It's been a couple of days since we've been on these airwaves discussing some of this stuff, so I think it's relevant. Let's talk about uh, the Thursday and Friday ball game, Steve. Well, I mean, look, Thursday, what it ultimately came down to was Lucas Giolito um, went out there and didn't do his job. He didn't throw enough strikes. Granted, it was a dog shit strike zone. There is no denying that. Um, as I was watching it um, from the gate in uh, the Oakland International Airport. I forgot you were in I, Cal- you were in the yeah, beautiful state of California. I, I, was, for these. I was thinking to myself, okay, that's uh, it's a pretty shitty zone. But at the end of the day, you got to find a, find a way. Um, you know, Pedro Martinez, you know, at, at his peak would have found a way, you know, if you're good enough, you'll find a way you walk seven guys as a team. They walked 11 that day. 
If you look at this Tigers team statistically, they are one of the worst offenses in baseball. And you went out there and you walked 11 guys. That is inexcusable. That is how you lose a baseball game. Okay? I've been talking about this all year. I wrote about it before this season that controlling the strike zone was one of the most important things that this White Sox pitching staff was going to have to do with consistency. Anthony, question for you. Sure. Is 11 walks controlling the strike zone? Absolutely not, Stephen. And and this is something that you've talked about almost ad nauseum here uh, since you've joined ONTAP Sportsnet and Sox ONTAP about, you know, pitching with conviction, attacking the strike zone, any any type of mantra that you want to put out there. You've said it. I think I've I've subscribed to this theory and this uh, this new. I appreciate you know, your subscription, by the way. I, yeah, I, I've subscribed to this theory as well that uh, you can't be doing that. And and this goes back to some of the stuff that we saw today. Just not to link it in, but the waste pitches, Dylan Cease, so many pitches outside of the strike zone, even on 0-2 counts. I, I I understand why, but when you're at 84 pitches in the third inning, can you really afford to do that? There's the White Sox. I don't know if they're up in the top two now, but they were number three in terms of waste pitches earlier this week in all of MLB. And I I've seen a lot of that this past weekend, and it's not something that's going to really lead to uh, the ultimate success of this pitching staff. They had a good run for a while. Things sort of getting back to what we saw earlier this season. Uh, thus far through the Detroit series, at least. Well, that was one of the things that you and I had talked about on a post-game show recently was what I refer to as the inefficient strikeouts, getting ahead of a guy 0-2 and then letting him back into the at-bat, getting the account, the count up to 2-2, letting him foul off pitches before you get that strikeout. Next thing you know, you've wasted seven or eight pitches right there. Yeah, you get the strikeout. It looks good on paper, but you used seven to eight pitches to do it. That's not a good recipe for you to go out there. And what is it that I always ask my starting pitchers to do every night, Anthony? I believe there's a certain number of outs that you would like them to cover. Uh Yes. What would that number be out of curiosity? I don't know. I I wish it would be closer, like up in the twenties, but what what, what is the number for that? Uh, I I mean, the minimum that I'm willing to accept is 18, 18. That's the minimum. That's the minimum. It's got to be over 18. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I need at least 18. That's the absolute bare minimum. That I can accept. You're not going. It seems to, like a safe number for you. It's 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 fine. I would personally prefer it to be 21. That's but but I think given the way that the game has evolved with bullpen usage, um, the understanding of the time through the order penalty, 18 is my minimum acceptance level. You're not going to get to that number if you have to expend seven to eight pitches in order to get a strikeout. That's why we saw Dylan C said 80, what was he, 87 pitches through four innings today? I know he was up in the 80s. I thought it was around 84 to 87, somewhere in that range. That's not going to do it for me. But we were talking a little bit before this about, you know, the the Friday and Thursday ball games here. Um, the amount of walks that this team gives up is absolutely criminal. And that was something that they had improved upon over the last few weeks here, but for whatever the reason, they let this piss poor Detroit Tigers lineup exploit them and exploit their inability to command the strike zone. Again, Lucas Giolito, I don't care how bad the home plate umpire strike zone was. You can't go out there and walk 
seven Detroit Tigers. That is inexcusable. No. Okay. You can talk all you want about getting squeezed. I understand it happened. I saw it. I was watching it. You can't allow it to get to that point. You need to go out there and you need to be efficient. You need to be commanding both sides of the plate with all of your pitches. He did none of that. This was almost akin to like a 2018 Lucas Giolito start. That's the type of thing that – Is that the worst pitcher in baseball season? I was waiting for it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I teed it up nicely. Um, But that's what it reminded me of. And you just – you can't do that even against a bad team. Now, I know the Tigers are at this point maybe two games back of the Twins in the AL Central, but that is not a good team. I know what the record says. I know that the record is better – than the White Sox, but that's not saying a whole lot right now because the Sox have the third worst record in, you know, the American League and in all of baseball, I believe. So that's not saying a whole lot here. This is not a good Tigers team. Lucas Giolito, you're going into your free agency this winter. This is not the type of outing that is going to help you get those dollars that you're looking for. So that's big investment guy here. He knows what he's talking about. I'm all I'm all about the markets. You know, I I, I like to stay up to date on, on you know in the futures market. The Lucas Giolito futures they they took a little bit of a plummet after that performance on Thursday. Um, you know, I know I was uh, I was reaching out to multiple sauces while I was on the flight uh, back to uh, back to Chicago from Oakland, and um, you know when I landed in the wee hours of the morning on Friday, had a couple two tree calls and, and the futures were you on the were you on the red eye. I was on a red eye. Yes, I landed back at Midway at uh, 1.45 a.m. Friday morning. So it was – That's uh, fantastic. It red, was, eye, red eye flights for Steve. It was not great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. It was not ideal. I didn't get home into bed till, uh you know, a little bit after 3 o'clock. So, you know, it's, it's been a rough couple of days here getting my body reacclimated. But, hey, listen. We've done some work today in the garage, though. I we, think we, we, we're we starting to get work. you hashtag You back. know, listen, I'm, I'm committed to excellence, okay? I'm here, and I'm going to continue fighting. Every day, because that's what I do. Okay, that's my commitment level to this cause here. He's a very dedicated individual, Steve. Uh, let's move on to the Friday ball game. I thought this actually went well, and, and one of the reasons why I'm a, a little bit more frustrated about this one when we're going to talk about this is you saw the bats just come alive on Friday. This is how I expected this series to go. Uh, 12-3 win for the White Sox. Lance Lynn, you and I might have differing opinions on how well his start was. I thought it was fine. You probably still think he's cooked. I'll give you the floor here in a minute. But the bats showed up on Friday, and I thought that they essentially sort of set the tone there in what was a very nice first inning, three runs in the first. They followed that up with another crooked number in the fifth. They followed it up with another crooked number in the eighth. All three of those go in 3-3-3. Shout out Pat Foley here, Tree Churdy Tree. So that was a that was a good ball game on Friday. I enjoyed, you know, Friday. As you mentioned, the offense went out there. They did their job. They brought out the whooping sticks. That's what you are looking to see them do. Absolutely. Against a team like the Detroit Tigers. Yes. Now, look, you know, as it relates to the whole Lance Lynn thing here, I just didn't think the stuff was crisp. Okay, we you can look at the overall line. You can look at some of the defensive miscues that happened behind him, and and again, some of the inconsistencies with the home plate strike zone. There, to me, the stuff wasn't crisp, and that's just you know I I think if he's going out there against a team not named the Detroit Tigers, if he's making those pitches 
against the Angels or the Blue Jays or the Rays, I think it's a lot different outcome for him personally. I just was not impressed with what I saw from this from a stuff perspective on that day. I can I can understand that. I'm also a subscriber to the theory that the perfect process doesn't matter. Perfect results do. So get the job done for me, and 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 we'll talk then after. So yeah, his stuff is nowhere near Steve, and I, I can also uh, admit this: his stuff is nowhere near what he had back in 21. It, it, it does not look the same. But even if he's had compare, a couple injuries. Even if you compare it to, you know, the stuff that he had in the starts against Cleveland and Kansas City prior to that, I just thought it, it was a step back, even from those two outings. And and somewhat of that, I think, is also going to be covered up by the fact that the bats come out and mm-hmm. put up 12 runs. And I think that's important for this White Sox team going forward as we monitor uh, this whatever it is that they're trying to do here. I'm assuming it's trying to win the AL central at at some points. I'm not sure if that's actually the case, but I think in, in certain aspects, you have to look at that and say, if you can allow a guy like Lance Lynn to not have his best stuff, only go out there and give up a couple of runs here, tons of run support. You can afford your guy to not be, super crisp. He's not pitching in a one run ball game uh, as the White Sox offense has put a lot of other starting pitchers on this staff in that position to have to be that perfect. And I said this earlier this year, the the 10 game losing streak put them in a position where they have to be perfect almost every single fucking night. And when you give your starting pitcher a lot of run support, I think it helps. I think it helps. Their no, it, it absolutely can help to mask deficiencies that you're having on a given day or in a given series in a given two week stretch that'll happen and far too often this year the offense has not been there to help pick up and help mask for a situation or a game where a starting pitcher has not been as crisp so to your point there yes the offense absolutely made made up for that when far too often this year they have not so you do like to see that happen. I mean, that's a, a big thing. Um, you know, what's the the meme that's been going around all season is that okay, you get good pitching, you don't hit, or the bullpen fails you, and then and then the meter just keeps moving. You never get at least two of them in one particular game here. Yes. So that's kind of the the frustration. Pick one of the three, right? I, I, exactly. So. But to actually see them have enough offense to kind of mask some of the defensive fuckery that happened behind Lance there that he was visibly frustrated about in that first inning of Mm -hmm. that game. And then just, again, some of him just not being as crisp as he has been in recent outings there. They hit enough to overcome that, and we certainly would love to see more of that. We would. We really would. Unfortunately... The White Sox offense couldn't muster up much on Saturday, Stephen. I, I did have a proud Papa moment in this ball game on Saturday. Uh, you know, my boy uh, did basically all of the offense. I think he's had a wonderful season thus far. Um, I get nervous going into every season, Stephen. <laughs> Just like, is this going to be a, a, a huge down year for my boy? What am I going to do if if there's struggles? We've seen him sent back to the minors once before. But by and large, I think, you know, the stock in, in a guy like Gavin Sheets, and this is my only takeaway from, from this ballgame, 
The stock and stonks. The stonks. Gavin Sheets stonks have been a very steady return on investment thus far. In fact, you and I have had a lot of discussion around certain first basemen in the White Sox organization. Um, there was, you know, some weird random talk about a Jake Berger and Gavin Sheets platoon. Might that be better than uh, the guy that they handed the job? We can to? just you, you can you can say his name. I, I can't say his name because he he is very well respected in the White Sox community. I will I a see, former first round draft. Here's the thing. I what I will tell you from my various circles that I'm in. That tide has turned. Has it? It absolutely has. The staunch Andrew Vaughn supporters that were out there that were of the mindset that, oh, you get Sleepy McDrunk and, and his coaching staff out of here. You get, you bring in a new modern staff. Everything's going to be fine. You have him standing on dirt instead of grass. Everything's going to be fine. He's just magically going to morph into the middle of the order masher that he was drafted to be. Who tried to caution the people about that over the winter, Anthony? You did. Okay. You did. There was an article on a website. I think I might, you know, be part of that website. In fact, you know, might try and run it called ontapsportsnet.com. Um, there was an article about just because a certain individual is going to stand on dirt instead of grass, that his bat was all of a sudden going to be fixed. I am of the... Uh, group that believes in getting the best bats into your lineup at all costs. And I thought that the prior regime tried to get Andrew Vaughn's bat in there because you've got a guy that was drafted in the first round, uh, was arguably the best college hitter uh, in his draft class, uh, you know, plays first base, which is a – let's not let's not beat around the bush it's, here. It's in okay. Chicago. That's a thing. For the White Sox, that's a thing. I think I think I might have seen an article about that too over the winter. Yes, I think I might have seen an article about that as well. That's a thing here. Yeah, in this city, especially on the South Side, there are prolific first basemen who have come through the Chicago White Sox organization who've done a lot of things that are far and well above what we're getting in terms of level of production. And I think you've been sort of the champion behind that entire discussion what's fascinating is that a lot of people were of the mindset of the belief and i will admit that initially i was of that belief myself that he was going to be the next in the lineage of prolific white socks run producing first baseman i stop now and i think back to a time i think back to 1997 Okay, interesting year. It's it's a it's a fascinating year. I was 13 years old, and this was right around the point when Big Frank started to DH a lot more. And there was a guy that slid into the first base spot that is really an afterthought, and kind of an afterthought because he was in between that period from Big Frank to Pauly. That player, Mario Valdez. Andrew Vaughn looks a lot more like a Mario Valdez than he does a Paul Canerco, which is what we were told he was going to be. That's that's I think sort of the problem here, and that it's a big problem. It's not sort of a problem. It it might be sort of foreshadowing as we get into today's ball game, Stephen. Um, This loss today was frustrating on many 
many different levels. Not only did your bats not show up, your bullpen sort of screws you out of what should have been lockdown. See, here. I'm going to disagree. Now, I'm, gonna I'm disagree not going to say that the today. bullpen was the cause. I think some shoddy defense yes. was the cause behind the bullpen meltdown. So yes. we'll, we'll get into it. 6-5 loss, extra innings. Steven, what did you take away from today's ballgame? Dylan Cease was not good enough. He went out there, was behind in counts consistently. Um, I think it was that third and fourth inning. He threw over 30 pitches in each of those innings. Or maybe, maybe maybe it was the second and the third inning. Second Actually, and he, third, he, yep. gives, he gives up the grand sign to Akil Badu. Uh, the I don't like that behind, guy. Behind. He's, he's like the Detroit Tigers version of Josh Naylor when it comes to the White right. Sox. Or so, a Max Kepler, if you want to throw the Twins version out there. Right. So he goes out there. He's not commanding the strike. So he's falling behind and counts consistently. He's walking too many guys. You run a deep at bat to Badu, and then you end up giving up a grand slam to put your team down four to one. Dylan Cease, you finished second in the American League Cy Young Award voting a year ago. You got a chance to get a series split on the road, secure a winning road trip, and you go out there and you shit down your leg. That is inexcusable. I talked about this on a show a couple of weeks ago that I have a real problem when people say that Dylan Cease is one of the upper echelon pitchers in this league when he goes out there and he has outings like this and he doesn't cover 18 outs with consistency. I can't categorize him no matter how electric this stuff looks when he is on. There are far too many outings when he goes out there and is running two deep accounts and can't get me those 18 outs. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm I'm too old-fashioned in my thought process. If I am, I don't really care because I need more. If you want to be a start a stopper, if you want to be old man yells at cloud hey, right here, right that's now. That's fine. That's fine. That if you want to be Marquez. considered the top of the rotation guy, one of the upper echelon pitchers in this sport, you need to go out there and you need to bury these cockroaches. You need to go out there and you need to give me seven innings of one run ball and just bury this Detroit Tigers lineup. Instead, you get four innings. Ten and one coming into this start against the Detroit Tigers. I believe the first loss came last season late for Dylan Cease. Like there were memes about this guy being the the Tiger King. I don't know if you remember those. Yeah. Um and now you you look at today's start. I don't care who you are, if you're a Cy Young pitcher or a back of the rotation guy, you're giving up grand slams, and you're at 80 pitches through the third fourth inning. That's it's a it's not your day, and b you did not deserve to win that ball no. game right there. And so we take that. You look at what the White Sox offense was able to do. You got a, a Romy Gonzalez solo shot. Then you had uh, some magic in, uh, what was that, the uh, the seventh inning yeah. where they put up four runs. Other than that, everything was silent. I thought it was valiant that they battled back in this one. Should have 
then shut the door after that four run seventh and they let him back into it. It was, it was sort of the ultimate tease today. It really was. Um, you know, this is a ball game that they have to win. You know, if you still, is this a flush it game? I mean, they're all, is, they're is this all a flush it game? Should they're we all flush it? Should games. we take this over to the toilet and we can flush it? I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious at this point that yes, it, it is a flush it game. Um, that can't, that can't happen. You know, you, you come back against a team like this, one of the teams that you have to jump in the standings. That would have been a lot. It would have helped momentum quite a bit. It would have. To win that game, have that dramatic four-run seventh inning, take the lead, and then close it down, and then get back on that plane to come home tomorrow. But then you go and you cough it up because of some shoddy defense from Tim Anderson and from Luis Robert in center field. Let's talk about those two plays here. First one, Luis Robert Jr. out there at center field. He tries to slide to stop a ball. I thought this could have been an inside-the-park home run. That's, that's what I said when it, when it you, happened. You said that's an inside-the-parker. You did. I was there. That's hashtag confirmed. I, they were lucky that that wasn't the tying run. Eventually, he does come around and score on a ground ball that Tim Anderson may or may not have had a play at the plate. That's the second time we've seen that happen in what feels about like a week-ish. I feel like he, if he feels that ball cleanly, he's got him dead to rise at the plate. So there you go. These are the fundamentals. These are the coming prepared to kick your ass every night. It wasn't a 7-10 start. It wasn't a 7-10. Well, fair. But if you can't expect them to come out ready to kick their ass at one ten Eastern. If for any reason Tim Anderson feels that ball cleaning, and let's go back just a little bit. If Luis Robert keeps that ball in front of him, he's you on second. You have to keep the ball in front of you. It's the fucking eighth inning. He's on second base at max. Right. There, There's sort of – and I don't understand how far out of position he was in terms of where he was set up on that play mm-hmm. for that ball to go that far past him. Well, the other thing about it, though, too, is if you go back – It's and- a one-run ball game. Right. Keep the ball in front of right. you. Like, right. why are they not shaded a little bit farther well, d- deeper here? Well, and, and especially in that ballpark with the dimensions, it's 412 to dead center, which, by the way, if it's 420 to dead center the way it was last year, it is the inside the park home run. Oh, and yeah, because for that, sure. Because that ball's still rolling then. So they got saved right there by it. But given the deep dimensions of that ballpark, the alleys that exist in there, in that situation or when you take the lead and you're in the eighth inning right there, you have to be playing no – you can't let the ball get behind you. No doubles defense. But, I, I, I mean, which which great. Look, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a double – Based off of where it's hit, but if you have to, you have to be playing deeper to prevent that. And then the other thing too is when he, when the ball is rolling, if he go, if he drifts back instead of cutting across, yes, then he doesn't have to do this ill-fated 
diving attempt to, he can just simply backhand the baseball mm-hmm. and then he's in position to make a throw. That's what I was thinking here as well. The route that he took to get to this baseball was terrible. It was suboptimal. It was it was terrible. Suboptimal, whatever you want to call it. The first thing you're ever taught as an outfielder is keep the ball in front of you. Keep the ball in front of you. First step's back. Yeah. First step is back. I felt like he came in to try and cut that thing off. That's how you wind up with a runner on third there. This game, we could be sitting here drinking victory beers right now, and those would taste a lot better. Not that these misery beers uh, taste bad at all, but we could be sitting here drinking victory beers had we had a better route taken by Luis Robert, Mm -hmm. and we could also be sitting here drinking victory beers if we threw a runner out at home. And then to double, triple down on this, Let's go to the 10th inning, Steven. Do we have to? Let's go to the 10th inning. Do we have to? Andrew Vaughn. Yasmani Grandal. Everything about... Pitches out of the zone that we're swinging at, plate approach, has not changed. You can fire every hitting coach in the entire world that can come try and work with these guys. Sometimes it feels like we are going to swing at everything that is blown away. Like, they just can't figure out how to have a solid plate approach in these at-bats that matter. Well, and it's fascinating to me because it's almost making you wonder, are these guys paying attention when they're in the dugout? You see that first plate appearance with Vaughn. Nothing. And if you go and if you look at, at the pitch chart on there, nothing was even close to the strike zone. Mm-hmm. Nothing. So you see that, and it's just, and if you go and if you look at Alex Lang's pitch log, very slider heavy. That's how he gets guys out. So when you have a pitcher that is as slider dependent as that, well, Jason Benetti told you that as he came into the right. game, and then also proceeded to say he's the perfect guy to come pitch the tenth against the White Sox. It, I, I hate that, by the way. Which, you know. Is the coaching staff, are they relaying this information to the hitters? That's a great question. Are, are they letting them know, hey, this guy is going to be slider, 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 slider. If you have a pitcher that on a given day is just not getting his release point on that slider and you're missing below the strike zone with consistency the way Alex Lang was, at some point, somebody has to be seeing that and it has to be relaying that information to the hitters in real time to say, hey, make the adjustment. Take a fucking strike. They literally could have gone out there, not swung the bat. They would have been, and been bases on, loaded yeah. in two batters right there. Yeah. It would have been bases loaded. And that's that's really what it comes down to for me, Stephen, is – where does this adjustment get made? It's not in the development, obviously. It's not in the development staff to teach these guys how to get there. I disagree with that. Well, or do, do you mean with the, with the guys that are here already? I, I I would say with the guys that are here already, it's it's almost too far okay, gone. Okay, okay, we're past that point. We're, we're past basically. that okay, point. Okay. So what I wanted to get to was that has to come from the major league coaching staff at this point. It has to. There has to be somebody who's stepping in there. I'm not – I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here in my mind going, 
man, the Astros had it good when they had buzzers on them because, like, I would reverse it. Instead of, you know, if you're if you're trying to develop a White Sox cheating strategy, you'd have the buzzer going, here comes the slider, don't fucking swing. And if you swing, here's the shock collar that goes off on you. That's where I'm at at this point because they can't help themselves. They can't figure out how to help themselves. They're swinging at this stuff that's in the dirt. They're swinging at stuff low and away. You've seen it with Eloy. You've seen it with Luis Robert. It's almost a joke at this point in time. You see Andrew Vaughn going out there chasing these. We're sitting there in the garage. Yasmani Grandal, the guy who's praised for his plate approach, is just getting overexposed by these things. And he's sitting there batting lefty, taking the same fucking swing at a pitch in the dirt that's coming at his shoes. Now, I will say this. I it's will say this about the about the Yaz yeah, strikeout. The pitch that he struck out on, there was a lot of late bite on that particular slide. Sometimes pitch. you could tip your cap. I'm right. fine with tipping I, I, cap. I, I, on, on that on that pitch in, in particular. The rest of the at-bat was bad. That pitch, the way that that thing was tunneled and the way that it dove off the table, maybe the last 10 feet before it got to the plate, Look, sometimes that's going to happen. You know, that that's a two-strike slider. I'm just here to drink from, another beer while Steve tries to uh, make sure that Yasmani Grandal gets his credit. Because you're a big Grandal. I, it's Regardless of whether that was Yasmani Grandal or, you know, pit, pit. I will defend mine as you defend your own. I, I mean, I mean. I'm it, here for you, Gavin. But if that would happen to Gavin Sheets, I, I would say I would say the exact same thing. That pitch, that was a major league two strike breaking. It was. Right it was there. nasty. That's what that was. It the was the rest nasty. of the at bat was inexcusable. Well, that's how we wind up in these situations. Right. And that's what I'm trying to get to. It's like, where do you fix that? Because there's days you don't you there's days you, where you this want, offense you want the honest answer? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. You don't, Let the listeners know. You, you don't fix it with the players that are on this roster. That's and see, that's where that's that's what it is. That's that's, that's where this that's where this cycles over and over again. I, I I still sort of believe that there's a chance that you can, but it's it's getting slimmer and 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 slimmer here. I just think that these guys are what they are right now, and. Whether give me the we are who they thought they were, just for they are who we thought they were. There you go, and we let them off the hook. Yeah, that, yeah, that's ugh, it hurts, it, it hurts. It's it's not great. Um, I'm not enjoying the ride. You're not, I'm not enjoying the ride. No, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride just because it's fun to get on here and talk with you and I, but all yeah, the rest of the boys, it's, we, it's we fun would to be talk having about. more fun though. We want talking about a White Sox winner. Victory beers taste better than misery beers. I like talking about games that end in the left-hand column more than I like talking about ones that end in the right-hand column. Yeah, but you've got your Cool Ranch Doritos here. They are so Came through. Yeah, he's he's trying to work on a sponsorship deal, I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm like Garth from Wayne's World 2. Steve, we've got to figure out where this is going to go at some point. I was starting to buy in, and I think a lot of White Sox fans were starting to buy in on there was a chance to win this division. You're going to shake your head and say no, um, but you know, I, I still firmly, I still, I still firmly believe that you know, if if you just totally bought in, we'd we'd ascend to new heights here. 
the problem is you're I, a hard sell. You're but, a hard sell. No, it's it. not about being a hard sell. It's about I've seen this movie before. I've lived this nightmare for all the parts of five different <sighs> decades at this point. Sometimes you can just you can just see when the writing is on the wall. But we're going to be at a baseball game tomorrow. We are going to we're be, going to be at a baseball, baseball game. Tomorrow. That is that's hashtag going to be confirmed. Awesome. That's going to be hashtag confirmed. I'm very hopeful that the White Sox don't embarrass themselves and don't embarrass our nation on Memorial Day by wearing those stupid fucking college softball uniforms. It's already hashtag confirmed that it is a Southside Monday. It makes me fucking sick. I would like to see the 83s out there. I, I think that the red, white, and blue would be the play. That's just me. I know a lot of other people out there hate the 83s. I'm a big 83s guy. I love red, white, and blue. So, Yeah, there you go. Drop it for everybody. Uh, I, I want to see them out there in red, white, and blue on Memorial Day. I think that would be awesome. I want to see some fireworks on my Memorial Day. I like fireworks. I'm a fan. I am as well. The only time I really care about fireworks is when a White Sox player is rounding the bases or after the White Sox secure the 27th out with more runs than the opposition. That's that's the extent of my fireworks experience that I want. Well, that's, I'm hoping that we get that tomorrow. Uh, Sox are going to be taking on the... Uh, Los the, Angeles Angels of Anaheim of Orange County of California of the Pacific time zone. You stole that right there from me, so that was perfect. So uh, Trout, Otani coming to town. Should be a good ball game. We got Michael Kopech on the mound, and he has been dealing. I'm very interested to see this. You know, we talked about this, um, you know, last weekend after the start against uh, Kansas City. And, yes. um, you know, I went back and I watched his performance against uh, Cleveland in my hotel in Berkeley, California. That was after on, you on escaped Alcatraz. That, that is hashtag confirmed. I did escape. I was trapped. But I got out. I'm here. I'm hashtag back. Okay. I'm just um, glad you you made it to the the basement down here to do this show, because um, it was it was a scary moment. You told me you were on Alcatraz, and I was worried for you. You know, there was a lot of uncertainty at the time. But listen, I'm a, I'm a fighter. I persevere, and here I am. But uh, once I once I escaped from Alcatraz. Went back to my hotel in Berkeley, California. I think um, you should put Alcatraz Escaper in your Twitter bio. I'm, you know, I think that's that's some good marketing right there. Um, went back, rewatched that performance, and I, I fired off a couple of tweets and some observations. Um, what was late into the night in the Pacific time zone? I don't know if everybody kind of caught that, but ultimately what it comes down to with Michael Kopech was this. He was working ahead with consistency he was getting ahead throwing first pitch strikes to i believe it was 65 percent of the hitters that he saw well we may or may not have talked about consistency and you know hitting the strike zone earlier on the kind, show. kind of kind of kind of important just a know? little bit kind of important he only had four 2-0 counts out of the 23 hitters that he faced in his outing and of the nine strikeouts he had a good even distribution Five with the fastball, four with the slider. One of the things that I'm watching and continuing to monitor is he's sprinkling in that changeup with more consistency. He's using that early in counts to keep hitters off balance. Giving them, The third pitch has really changed the him. The third pitch is a big deal. It has really there changed are, There him. are so few pitchers that can effectively navigate a lineup three times through the order on only two pitches. 
So him being able to do that, even if it is right now just a show me pitch, he's he's been using it enough these last two outings to plant a seed of doubt in the hitter's mind. And that is important from the standpoint of now it is something different. It's got a different shape and a different velocity than the typical fastball slider combination that he utilizes that fastball at the top of the zone, obviously the slider down in in the bottom part of the strike zone there. So you've got a third option there in between those two pitches right there. And that's going to help those play off of each other more effectively here. So seeing him continue to utilize that changeup is going to be fascinating how he goes about approaching these Angels hitters. Because this is going to be a step up in class from what we saw against the Kansas City Royals and the Cleveland Guardians. This Angels team, they can hit. So how he's going to navigate that lineup is going to be fascinating to see. It's going to be imperative for him once again to work ahead in counts the way that he has in each of these last two stars. If he's able to do that with the consistency that he has, in these last two outings here, he will be in position to have another quality outing. It's all about momentum. I think he's got all the momentum on the mound right now. I'd like to see him come out there and just shove against uh, a great hitting lineup in the Angels. We're going to be there uh, taking it all in in person tomorrow. It's going to be Memorial Day. Everybody's off. It's great. Baseball. Can't wait, Stephen. You got to pick the click for tomorrow. Yeah, pick the click. So they're returning home. I think that um, you know Jake Berger going to get back home. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's he's been in he's been in a little bit of a funk here. I would say over the last. Seven I thought he was going to hit a home run today on International he, he, Burger. Yeah, he was. He was robbed of one by by Riley Green. Made a hell of a defensive play on him. Look, that happens. He's been in in a funk here. That was forgot going, about that. That could have changed the complexion yep, of this game as well. Yep, yep. So you know, listen, that was going to happen eventually here. I think he gets back home, familiar surroundings, gets back on track here tomorrow, and I think he gives us some fireworks that we're looking for. I like it. I'm gonna go with. Uh, hmm. Is is tomorrow the day that Tim Anderson? Breaks the drought? It's a big question. I mean, you know, I, I was... He a, had a good day at the plate today. He, he did. He did. Now, I, I posed a question to the people. Because, as you know, I'm here for the people. Right. And I asked, did Timmy have to turn on the GPS to find his way to second base when he hit that first inning double today? He may have had to. I wonder if he can find it all the way home. Well, that's a different discussion. I wonder if he can uh, find it home. <laughs> Tomorrow I'm going Tim Anderson. Bold, Anthony. For my pick to click. I think I think he's going to find, as you said, the launch codes. Ooh. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I'm going TA tomorrow. All right. All right. I like it. Steven, it's Sunday fun day. We've discussed this past weekend in, in White Sox baseball. You got any other topics before we close this one down? You know, um, just disappointed to see them go out there this weekend and lay the proverbial egg that they did. Um, had an opportunity to have a solid road trip, and then they just did not get the job done. Um, they did not capitalize. They did not. They they were not opportunistic. I would say. 
a lot of things that we've talked about on the show before. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost as if these talking points ring true in a lot of ways. Some some would say, you know, some would say big many, if big if true. Many, many would say. Um, but you know, hey, listen, it's a holiday weekend. Go out there, enjoy yourselves. Have a couple two tree pops. By the way, you know we talked about this in in the garage earlier. Here, you know the Bush lattes lately have had a little hint of sweetness to them lately. Um, I don't know if there's been a formulaic change over at uh, the Anheuser Busch uh, company of of late here, but there's a little bit of extra sweetness in the Bush latte of late. You're liking those? I, I think you might have another one I'm a, I'm a upstairs big, in the garage. I'm a big you. Bush latte guy. You know? How can well, you not be? There you go. Stephen, my final thoughts here on on the White Sox in general are just you've got to find a way to string it together. I know that I think it was, what, 8 of 12 or something. They they started to come back and put some wins together. The the fact that they dropped today's ball game sort of sets everybody back, especially mentally when you're thinking about this team and where they're going to go from here. Had you split this series, I think we're, we're in a totally different mindset. It's still the trudging on of, you know, we're winning series. We're going about this in the right way. You're starting to climb yourself out of this hole. This one hurts. This one hurts a lot. Uh, You're going to have to go back and take two of three from the Los Angeles Angels of uh, every other, you know, county and and city in California. So that's not going to be an easy task. It's not going to be an easy task. There's a lot of work ahead. It's just disappointing that we're here talking about dropping three or four to the Tigers. I think they said it on the postgame show. The AL Central, whoever's going to show up and, and play like you want to or, or play like they, they want to win is going to end up taking this division. I think I said it in the garage. This is The AL Central is literally a pass-fail course. There is no A, B, C, anything. It is a pass-fail course. It, I would go as far as to say it's a participation trophy. It, it basically is. And so what's so disappointing for me is that when we're talking about these losses, it's because the participation portion of that didn't even show up. They got to be better. Yeah. You know, they got to um, be better. You know what they say? Showing up is half the battle. Well, you know, we know where the uh, 2023 White Sox have been. On that equation, far too often this year. Got to be there. Got to be there. We'll be there tomorrow. We'll bring our A game. We'll bring our A game. Thank you to all that tuned in on this Sunday, fun day edition of the Sox on Tap postgame show. We'll be back this week with more postgames. And uh, next weekend, I'm sure there will be a Sunday, fun day again. But here's how you can find us. You can find Steve at NWI underscore Steve on Twitter. We'll get in his mentions. You know, he sometimes tweets about Seinfeld. I'm at Tony on tap. You can follow the show at socks on sometimes. What does that mean? Sometimes you tweet about Seinfeld. Sometimes you tweet about the White Sox. It's just sort of regularly about Seinfeld. Well, maybe you need to up that game. Uh, You can follow the show on the YouTube at youtube.com slash on tap sportsnet. Hop in the comments. Sorry, we couldn't get to comments today. I've got these blue glasses on. Can't see anything. Just sitting here like I'm blind. Can't see the shock in his eyes. You can't see the shock in my eyes, and I can't see your comments. So we'll we'll work on that as we go forward here, and we'll get the comments on the screen. 
Stephen, we'll close it down how we always do. White Sox forever. White Sox for life. Cheers. Cheers.